Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep our, it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. Are you looking for an internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience. You will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information. 484-364-1032 or text Jeannie White, station manager at T-H-E C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S-H-O-W at gmail.com for a podcast show details. Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain. Hello, everybody. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio, where our mantra is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. The views of the guests may not represent those of the host or the station. Folks, you're going to want to listen to my guest today because this is the first time that I am going to be interviewing a military veteran's wife. What do they go through? What do they experience? It's different for everyone. Not only did my guest write a book about her experience called Home of the Unknown Soldier, which is available on Amazon, my guest, who is Jill Armijo, has a Facebook group, which I'm a member of, Caregivers Living Abundantly. She has a business for, uh, to help people. She's a self-care coach, and she helps caregivers with their business called Caregivers Living Abundantly. And I want to welcome to Chatting with Betsy my friend, Jill Armijo. And I hope I said your name right, Jill. You did, Betsy. You're awesome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I just love you and the work that you do in your group and on this podcast. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I love you, too, and what you do. Um, I'm going to start with your book first because there is a lot of military people out there, men, women. I really never interviewed someone who was um, a veteran's wife, how I really um, am interested in your perspective. And you wrote this book, Home as an Unknown Soldier, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, for people who are listening and interested. And I'm going to ask you what I ask all my authors is, what motivated you to write your book, Jill? Well, I kind of had a lot of pressure from a lot of people over the years who kept telling me I should write a book. (laughs) And um, I had kept 
that journal, and I tried to be really positive in my journal because I wanted any of my posterity or, or anybody who ever read my journal to only see the good parts, which wasn't really very fair um, because as I started writing my book, I realized that um, we can only really appreciate the good parts if we've known the rough parts and seen how far we've come. Um, as a physical therapist for many, many years, I uh, kept really clear and accurate, consistent notes because Medicare makes me insurances. Um, <laughs> not my choosing, but I, I had to, and I had to um, make them very objective. And this was so useful for my patients because uh, they would come to me, they'd have a discouraging day, they'd have more pain, or they'd, you know, have some sort of uh, setback, and they would say, I just, I feel like I'm starting back from square one. And so I would show them a, a chart note from a couple or three weeks ago and say, you are not starting from square one. You have come so far. Look, this is what we did on your eval, and this is where you are now. And it was really, really a blessing for people to see that they had made a lot of progress. And maybe the reason they were having a setback was because they had made so much progress that they expected themselves to do more. And so they walked more or they reached more or they interacted more with family and got tired or whatever. And so they could see that where they are now is because of where they've been, not in spite of where they've been. And that's something that has blessed me um, that perspective in my relationship with my husband um, since, you know, he came back with PTSD and all kinds of problems. Which war was your husband in, Jill? In the Gulf War. He was um, sent on his very first deployment on a tender as a, in the Navy um, when... Uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. Um, we were married in 1990, and six months later, he was in the Gulf. And uh, he had three deployments on that ship, but his very first deployment was when uh, they encountered the sarin gas attacks. And his PTSD kind of revolved around the standing on deck on their ha in their hazmat suits, just terrified as the oil burned in the Gulf and um, in the tire pits. And, you know, there was just, it was like Armageddon to some of those guys. They just were so scared. And, and then standing on the deck in a hazmat suit for several hours, they would faint and they took off their suits and had boils all over their bodies because it was 120 degrees. It was just, it was really a nightmare for them. And afterwards, they realized that Joe's ship was contaminated, but they let it go on two more deployments before they finally decommissioned and burned it. So over 700,000 troops have what's called Gulf War Syndrome. And some of those were ground troops. Some of them were Navy. Um, I don't know about the Air Force, but uh, just so many of them. And a third of my husband's ship was women. And so there's a lot of women, too. Many of them have cancer, lung cancer. Um, Joe does have some lung tissue just death, 
but he so far doesn't have cancer. But his main thing is he came home and his trauma um, escalated to schizophrenia. And so he's mostly afflicted by delusions all day, every day. Um, And that's the biggest struggle that we have. He does have a chronic GI bleed. And so he's usually weak, um, oftentimes is in his bed just shaking um, with muscle spasms. He has fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue too, which are two of the main symptoms of um, Gulf War syndrome. So he's pretty much a mess and hasn't been able to work for about 25 years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my heart goes out to you. I just did an interview uh, last month about uh, this woman wrote about military, the burn pits, exactly Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is uh, real people. And, I mean, you were just married six months and your husband went off to uh, deployment. That's just mind-boggling to me. Uh, My mother-in-law, Matt's mom and dad, they were married during World War II, they got married on a weekend, and he went right back on his ship. Oh. Uh, you know, Fourteen. that's what they did. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, in those times, you know, they didn't see them or have communication, uh, much communication. And, you know, it, they came back, right, they came back a different person. They had post-traumatic, mm-hmm. but that it wasn't talked about then. Did your right. husband receive the help that he needed with the VA, because I know a lot of people don't receive the help. No, he did your didn't husband receive the services? It, it's too bad because, um, yeah, we we tried to get there. We didn't um, try to get services until until <clears throat> um, about eight years later, and I think that was our downfall. If I had tried to get services when I first realized that he had changed, even though his changes seemed subtle. And I just, like, when he got home from his first deployment, he started acting really jealous. I mean, in a in really weird ways. It talks about it in my in my book. But I I was in denial. He um, was acting the opposite of what attracted me to him when we got married. And I just thought maybe I was just blinded by love, you know how they say, and I just didn't realize who I was marrying. Um, He started being very controlling, which was totally the opposite of his personality. He he started um, not wanting to hang out with our friends. He was terrified that they were talking behind his back, and they were this, and they were that, and lying to him, and um, insulting me, which they never did. But he just had all these, he just imagined all these things were going on. So he distanced himself from all of our friends. And even at that, I just thought, wow, I just married this weird guy and just didn't realize it. And I have a minor in psychology. You'd think I would have realized what was going on. But I just waited and waited until he ended up in the hospital. Um, he had almost bled to death and didn't bother to tell me that he was bleeding, um, uh, you know, whenever he had a bowel movement, he just bled and bled. And one day he couldn't get off the toilet. And so I took him to the doctor and they immediately sent him to the hospital. And he, they said that his blood count was lower than any they had ever seen that survived. And they didn't know how he had walked into the hospital. And so 
<clears throat> that was when I finally, um, they recommended that we um, sign up for counseling. The chaplain came in and did his thing and said, well, if he survives, he needs counseling after this. And I'm like, counseling? He just felt bled to death. What are you talking about? But then, so in 1998, I finally applied for um, VA benefits. And that was a really bad time to apply. Uh, it was rare that people got benefits, I guess, at that point. Um, so somebody encouraged me to try again in 2002. So I made my husband go back to all these doctors again and have all of these awful tests and it just about destroyed him. We started from ground zero in getting him um, transfusions and infusions because the stress makes him bleed more. Um, he just like hemorrhages when he gets in a really stressful situation. And so um, I put him through all of that stuff again. We reapplied and we sent them, and this was still the snail mail version of doing things even in 2002. We sent a half an inch at least of paperwork and they still denied him. And I was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not putting my husband through this anymore. So we're just figuring stuff out on our own. So the VA never did, um, did help, but we got social security benefits because um, my husband's schizophrenia is pretty cut and dried. Like they inter they interviewed him and and you know psychiatrists find stuff and we didn't even have to try very hard. Our social security got um, approved on the very first try, so he gets a little bit of help every month. But I wasn't that interested in the financial help at that point, as I was just wishing somebody would fix him. And they can't fix him. You can't fix schizophrenia, you can definitely um, do things to help someone with schizophrenia. And I've learned those techniques over the years. And so we're much happier in our marriage. And um, I just love him as he is. I stopped trying to fix him a long time ago. And he loves me as I am in all my imperfectness. And we just do what we can. But yeah, the VA kind of dropped the ball on us. But I think they're doing better now. I don't know. They kind of fluctuate depending on things in the world in politics. Uh, what what a story. Jill, you made some really great points. Um, you know, we, we do try to tend to fix someone, right? Um, what can mm -hmm. I do to fix someone to make this better? And reality is sometimes we can't fix them. We can't fix the situation. We have to learn to live with it and to learn tools to deal with the situation. And, yeah. um, I, you know, that's same thing with, um, well, not the same, but similar to, you know, when someone has um, Alzheimer's. I want to fix mm -hmm. Matt. I couldn't fix him. I had to learn tools to deal with it. And you'll also bring out a point, Jill, and, and I really want to hit this home to the audience. When someone goes off to war, whether they're a man or a woman, the war doesn't stop for them when they come home. There is the reality, as such as Jill's husband, they have post-traumatic syndrome. They have physical um, ailments. They can be sick for the rest of their lives because they chose to serve their country and it can be carried down to another generation. Now, do your children have any side effects 
of your husband being in the military? The side effects that they have is that they are incredible human beings because they grew up with a dad with schizophrenia and they chose every day to love and honor him in spite of the fact that he and I were constantly fighting. I was a terrible caregiver at first in deep in so much martyrdom and victimhood and um, fear and anxiety. Um, just I was a mess. My husband was a mess. He just had all these crazy delusions and he was constantly following me or my kids around the house trying to convince us, you know, that we needed to call somebody, that the world was coming to an end, that there was aliens, that there was, you know, Bigfoot and shapeshifters and all the things. And so my kids, none of them have schizophrenia because, you know, there's there's the, the aspects of schizophrenia that it is um, uh, hereditary to it degree I don't know how much that is or or what's involved with that and then there's the the factor of you know your upbringing if you're raised by somebody with schizophrenia there's a higher chance that you're going to adopt those uh, habits and beliefs and ideas but um, so far my kids have showed no no signs of delusions my husband didn't get his schizophrenia until after his first deployment he was 38 by the time he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and so I and it's usually diagnosed earlier not necessarily always but I'm hoping my kids never have it they had um, a a really rough childhood but they had a lot of love from both of us my husband has been an amazing father even though he had all these delusions he had to be the stay-at-home dad from the time he got sick and couldn't work anymore while I was pregnant with my youngest. And so my oldest was six, my next one was four, and then my youngest was born after we decided he should just be a stay-at-home dad. And he didn't know what else to do, so he took them to the park every day after school. And that's a wonderful life for little boys. <laughs> they, they really had yes. it good. Um, so their life wasn't all hard. It was very emotionally um, taxing for them, but they did have really good friends, and their friends had amazing parents. People came out of the woodwork to have our kids over to their houses, to give them rides to their sports and music events and all the things. And our kids were so blessed to be raised um, in an environment where their parents were a mess but trying and, and that that we were able to stay together somehow because I had amazing friends and family and coaches and stuff. And, um, and so they're all just amazing. They help us all the time. Joe will call them with one of his delusions or fears or thinking that I'm this or I'm that, and they'll talk him through it. They'll talk for hours if that's what it takes to help him through something that he's struggling with. And I just, I'm so grateful for our boys. That's that's so uh, wonderful because, you know, we could teach our children valuable life lessons in caregiving. Uh, Josh was wonderful with his dad. Uh, the reason why mm-hmm. I asked about your, your children is because um, a lot of the Vietnam veterans, their children suffered the effects of Agent Orange yeah. from their uh, mom or dad. That's why I... I um, ask that question. 
um, since your husband was exposed to, you know, chemicals and um, who knows what else. But um, to see if your you know, children were, in fact, I'm glad they're, they're healthy. Well, I really admire you, Jill. Um, that takes great strength to um, live with someone who totally changed from when you are married and what you thought was going to be your life and what is your life, it's, um, it's life-changing. But you took what you went through, and how did you come up with, I love the name of your group, Caregivers Living Abundantly. That's a yeah. That's like you you I, you hear that and you go hmm. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> well, I love the name of my group too. I I honestly feel, and this might really offend some people, and I'm sorry if it's offensive to you, but I honestly feel that the life of a caregiver isn't any harder than someone else's. It's just so starkly different than what we imagined our life was going to be, that it's easy for us to feel cheated or desperate or hopeless and, and to feel so sorry for our loved one going through what they're going through that it just creates a lot of misery that is really unnecessary. Our loved ones, I, like I said, I've been a physical therapist and I've treated literally thousands of people with dementia and worked with their family members. And my patients, like when I read their chart before I went to meet them for the first time in their room or whatever, if they were coming to my clinic, um, I sometimes wondered how they were still functioning because their history was so replete with so many difficulties. And I thought they must be in abject misery. I'm just going to go in there and be so kind. And I would go into their room and they'd be laughing or talking. You know, just because you have dementia doesn't mean your life is destroyed. It It is different, way different than we want it to be or expected it to be. But my patients with dementia clear up until, you know, their very last few months had joy in their lives. It was maybe really confused joy or maybe just the long-term memories of joy um, because the present was just so confusing and so um, uh, disconnected. Um, But every single one of my patients had lovely moments. I had many patients who just cuddled with their baby dolls, and they would smile as I walked by, even though they had no idea where they were or what they were doing, and their baby doll was just a pretend baby doll. They they had joy. So we've got to stop feeling so sorry for ourselves and for our loved ones and realize that everyone has misery and everybody has joy, and I believe it comes to all of us 50-50, only some of us, like to really dwell on our misery and some of us really like to dwell on our joy. So it seems when we talk to each other like we have inordinate amounts of it one to another. We kind of feel like somebody has it better than we do or we think somebody has it way worse than we do. And even when we think somebody has it way worse than we do, that's just neglecting the self-care that we need that's compassionate to ourselves. We have every bit as much as we can handle and we need support and we need love no matter where we are. 
Exactly. I applaud you, Jill, because that's so true. Um, I, you know, people say, well, Betsy, what do you mean that you uh, kick Alzheimer's ass? Well, it's a <laughs> mindset, you know, yeah, I love you it. kick it by enjoying life. Take your loved one out. Enjoy the present moment. Of course, they may not know that it's their birthday or anniversary. Don't take it personal. It's not personal. It's a disease. Go and celebrate and take pictures and enjoy the present moment. And I really wish I knew that for the first five years. It took me five years for that to sink in, <laughs> to enjoy the moment. And you're right, Jill. I know myself. Uh, when I was caregiving for Matt and before I, I had support groups, before I went on Facebook, that, you know, I just feel sorry for myself. You know, what was me? Um, well, here I, I am. I did too. You know, and yeah. that's what I love about your, the name of your, your group. And, you know, people might say, well, Betsy, why do you promote other people's groups or podcasts or books? Because it takes a village, people. Like it takes a village yeah. to raise a child. Caregivers need a village of support. Mm -hmm. I don't have all the answers. Um, and we all need to support each other. And how did you come to going from how you felt um, being, you know, feeling sorry for yourself and not having joy and misery to being a coach having a, and having a support group? That's a big sway there I had a great great coach I had a coach that totally changed my life so I measure my life now as AD BC and AD before coaching and after my delusions I don't have schizophrenia but I definitely had delusions of woe is me and um, my life is just so much happier because of the things that my coach taught me and so those are the things I got advanced training from her and learned how to coach others and so that's what I love to do is to help take people from their BC to their AD and help them to um, love their life it's still hard and it's still different than we thought it was going to be but we can make of it whatever we choose to and some people choose to not care give or they choose to put their loved one in a facility because that's the best thing for their loved one and for themselves and those those choices are okay and I never judge anyone for the choices they make when I was a um, new physical therapist I um, heard from many of my patients that uh, their husband left them when they got MS because he couldn't handle it. And I just thought, oh, I could never do that. And then, you know, when my husband got sick and I really wanted to leave him a bunch of times, I totally understood how they could do that. And I like to tell my caregivers that um, they have a choice every day. They don't have to stay. They don't have to learn these tools. They don't have to have a good attitude. They can totally leave. Because I've seen it. I've seen parents leave children. I've seen children um, completely not be able to help their parents or grandparents. And that's their own story. And I love to have compassion for everybody in any story. 
because I don't know what they're experiencing. I don't know what they're capable of. And I don't know what you're capable of. And maybe you don't know what you're capable of. But you have the choice every day whether to leave. And the fact that you haven't left doesn't mean you're forced to stay there or that you had to do this. It means you're amazing and you're up to it and you're the best one for the job and you have that compassion and love. And it means all the wonderful things about you. And But if you have to pick another pathway, that's fine too because the most important thing is your own self-care because if you're caring for somebody and you're not applying the principles of emotional self-care, you're going to be more prone to abusing them, to abusing yourself, to abusing others in your family. And you need to know your limitations. You need to figure out what it is you want and what you can do and not have any shame or guilt about whatever it is you choose. Yes. Bravo. (laughs) I agree 100%, Jill. I love what you said. There's, you know, like, I have found, I don't know if you have uh, noticed this, I've, because I'm in several groups, and I have my own group, as you know, sometimes caregivers are in their own way. They, you know, choose to stay um, in a situation, or, or they feel guilty, oh, I, I failed, I, I have to put my uh, loved one in a facility. And you're not failing them. No. We don't have a crystal ball. You know, um, I tell people that don't make promises. There comes a time when your loved one may need more care than what you can give them, or, or it could be a safety issue. doesn't mean that you, it's not failing at, right. at all. And people tend to think this. I had a caregiver say to me, she told me her husband broke a window and jumped out. And I said, yeah. Did, have you thought about placing them? You know, I would get alarms on the bed and the windows, doors. I said, but have you thought, planned about placing yet? She said to me, well, you didn't place Matt. I said, my situation is different. Matt didn't do yeah. that. And you know, had Matt jumped out. Right. Um, had Matt had done that, or if he didn't survive when he went up to hospice, I would have had to place him. And so exactly. we can't compare. I, I want to tell anyone's listening who's a caregiver, don't compare your situation to someone else's. Don't compare yourself to someone else. You're you. And you have to do what's best for you and your loved one. What are some of the um, self-emotional care tips that you give, Jill? Well, my my favorite tip, oh, yes. My favorite tip is to stop trying to be positive. Now, let me, before you panic and turn off the thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> feeling, positive, feeling positive is an emotion. And if we try to change our emotion without going to the root of what caused the emotions, which is our thoughts, then we are just trying to bury and reject those emotions. And usually that only causes them to escalate into worse emotions. So... What we need to do when we feel an uncomfortable emotion, we need to process it and processing an emotion. If you ask people what does it mean to process an emotion, a lot of them will say, oh, that means um, I find a a better um, emotion and I um, get rid of the bad one or whatever. 
or they or they try to be grateful or they try to um, say affirmations or they try to meditate away that negative feeling but what we need to do is just recognize yeah I'm frustrated because this is a really um, difficult situation that I'm in and of course I'm frustrated because I'm a human and then we can go back and and look at why we're frustrated well I'm frustrated because Joe went to watch TV instead of helping me with the dishes after dinner and that means he doesn't love me and so I'm really frustrated and I don't like him anymore and all of these things so we can go back and look at that thought and figure out whether that thought is serving us that Joe doesn't want to help me with the dishes anymore and that means he doesn't love me maybe it's just as simple as Joe's all sweaty from the conversation that we just had at dinner because of his delusions and he needs to take a break and watch TV so that he can, you know, distract himself from all that pain. And maybe I can go watch TV with him instead of thinking that I have to do the dishes by myself and we can just do them together later when he feels better. And so we can kind of go back and figure out the source of our emotion, which is always a thought, And we can decide whether we want to keep that thought without judging ourselves or criticizing ourselves for those thoughts. Do we want to keep it or would we like to maybe look at it a little bit differently? And when we look at the thought a little differently, so many times our emotion adjusts itself. And that's what really helps me the most. That's my go-to every single day. I check in with myself. If I'm feeling uncomfortable emotions, I just allow them, wonder what caused them, go back through my day and figure out what I'm thinking, what my beliefs are, what ideas I've got. And sometimes I want to keep those ideas. Yeah, I'm having a rough day. I'm really sad. Um, Joe doesn't feel like he can, um, you know, FaceTime with our granddaughter. And it's really sad to me that he's kind of, you know, not able to connect with his grandkids like he wants to and and just I can just be sad today. And I don't want to change my thoughts. I really want my husband to connect with my grandkids. Um and it's okay to be sad. So and if I if I try to stop being sad, if I think, Oh, I can't be sad, I've got to be positive and put on a smiley face for Ellie when I talk to her on FaceTime, then I might just escalate to a little bit of anxiety. I might even get depressed. Those are those are some of the um, more intense emotions that can really um, impact our um, ability to function if we try to suppress those natural, clean emotions that we feel as human beings when things are challenging. I like that. I, I, that's so true, Jill. Um, I can... <laughs> testify to that because I, I feel like what you know there's that saying what we um, resist persist I used to tell myself uh, you know I'm feeling sad I don't want to feel sad but the more I get told myself I don't want to feel sad I felt sad so then I just mm-hmm. welcome the sadness I say okay I'm sad why am I sad um, and then I, when I welcomed it and acknowledged it I was able to move on. Mm-hmm. I think people need to, this is my opinion, I think caregivers or, or anyone, you don't even have to be a caregiver to get coaching about that because there is this, what I call the, this toxic 
positive attitude. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about being pessimistic all the time, but, you know, I, I grew up in a household where, you know, my mom couldn't deal with problems. Everything had to be wonderful. And it was, you know, la-la land. It's it's not always la la land. It's we have problems. We need and we have feelings and we need to learn to handle it, how to work with them. Um mm-hmm. so we can have better mental health, emotional health, so we could be better people and to our, you know, children, husbands, wives, whoever. And I, I really would highly recommend for people to contact you, Jill. Uh, how do you do counseling? Do you do it on Zoom? Do, do you do international? Pe- I do international. Um, um, I, do, I do Zoom or, so yeah, for my international folks, I pretty much do Zoom because the calling is just not uh, logical. Right. And then, and some people just really don't want to show up on Zoom. They just want to get coached when they're in their jammies or when they've been crying, or a lot of times people cry during coaching, so they really don't want to be on Zoom, and so we, I, I do phone calls, whatever feels best to my client. That That's true. <laughs> I know I've gone for um, counseling, and I cry. <laughs> oh, I <yeah>. cried. <laughs> um, you know, the emotions uh, come out. It's like somebody put on the, uh, opened up the spigot sometimes. Because you uh-huh. hold it in for so long. And, um, you know, my mom is, to give my mom as an example, people keep busy. Well, are you keeping busy? Because that's good to be busy, but not if you are running from your emotions and your feelings. Right. We have to sit sometimes with our emotions, our pain, and go through it and not run from it. And a lot of people, I think, run from their um, pain and, and their emotions, and that's why they end up taking drugs or drinking or overeating. Yep, that's where I was. I I was an overeater anonymous. I was <laughs> I was a uh, stress eater, a emotional eater, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I ended up in a wheelchair, overweight, and full of arthritis because of my emotional eating. And what got me on this pathway of coaching was that I. Um, joined a a, a cleanse, and I got better. I um, learned some amazing, incredible things, and I decided I wanted to be a health coach and help people stop emotional eating and lose weight. So I went to health coaching school and learned all that. And then my first, you know, dozen or so clients, I realized as I was coaching them that yeah, maybe they needed to lose some weight. Maybe they really didn't. They just needed to um, address some deeper issues. And so that's when I found my life coach and got that training, and that's what I love to do now. And some people lose weight while I work with them because we can coach on that too. But um, but the deeper issues, some of my very, very first clients that I didn't even charge because I was just learning what I was doing um, – had huge breakthroughs and maybe they didn't even lose weight but they sold three houses you know when they hadn't been able to make any headway in their real estate business before or whatever so the life coaching is so powerful because it connects us with with our thoughts and and it also 
um, just is an abundance of compassion for ourselves. Most people are way too critical of themselves, and when they're overweight and they they you know just feel terrible about themselves, a lot of times it's much deeper than just the fact that they're eating goodies. So yes, uh, um, well, you are fantastic, Jill. Um, so thrilled to talk to you. Um, we didn't get into it, but I just want to tell the folks that you also help people with their business because as we had said before I started recording, uh, people who are caregivers, if you have a business, it might be a little tough to run it when you are caregiving. Mm-hmm. So you help people uh, with that also. And the uh, website for everything, um, I tell the audience, it will be in the blog. So please, please read the blog because that's where all the information is going to be about Jill or Miho. <laughs> uh, Jill, is there anything else you would like to say to the audience? Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, just that um, just that the business coaching, I decided to kind of um, go, uh, focus on that a little bit since last October because, um, you know, being able to be financially independent is so important for caregivers who have maybe had to leave their employment in order to care for someone. And starting a business is very challenging, but I've learned how to, or I am learning. It's still it's still a learning process for me too, but I'm learning to put the ease and the connection and the partnerships and the clarity into starting a business so that you don't have to struggle on your own, so that it's not, you know, work before play, but your business is play. Um, one of the chapters in my book is, um, let's see, I don't even remember what it's called. Um, play is the opposite of depression. And um, I've learned in my business that if I can enjoy what I'm doing instead of thinking it's Um, gut-wrenching or drudgery or whatever, um, then I have more success, my clients have more success, and it's just so much easier to be a caregiver and run a business when you enjoy what you're doing. Uh, So, yeah, I would love to help anybody who's trying to start a business. Um, My first love is just coaching caregivers with whatever it is they have going on. So even if you're not starting a business, please get in touch with me. Click on the link. We'll have a discussion and see if I can help you. Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Jill. I appreciate you coming on and all that you do for caregivers. Folks, the name of the book is Home of the Unknown Soldier by Jill Ormijo. It is on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. If you don't find it there, ask them to order for you. It will be in the blog. The Facebook group is Caregivers Living Abundantly. The link will be in the blog for that also, as well as the um, website. Uh, Thank you for coming on, Jill, and sharing your story and what you do. And thank you for what you do for helping others. Um, Thank you, Betsy. Right back at you. I love your videos that you did even way back when. I just so connect with you, and I appreciate all of your efforts for the people in your group and in my group. Um, it's a team effort. Like you said, it's a community. We need, to, we need to support each other wherever we are. 
Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Um, Jill, after I stop recording, uh, don't hang up because I have someone that can help you. I know someone who can okay. help you with VA benefits. Um, oh. He's a lawyer <laughs> in Florida, but he, he does help people all over. And I want to thank uh, you, the listeners, for listening. Please share this podcast to help other people. This is why I do what I do, and I love what I do, because I want to pay it forward. I wish I knew someone like Jill when I was going through caregiving. I could have used the self-care coach. Believe me, I could have used the coach. Um, not just counseling, and that's great, but to learn about self-care and taking care of your emotional well-being, I could have used that. And I want to thank um, Jill, you for coming on. I want to thank Jeannie White, who's station manager, Pastor World Talk Radio, who writes the blog, produces the show. And I want to thank Lillian Caldwell, who's the CEO, Passionate World Talk Radio, makes this all possible. And please share, folks. It's so important because I want the show to get out there to help others. It's not about me. It's about helping others and paying it forward. And that's what my mission is, is to pay it forward so people don't have to live with their pain and they don't have to be unhappy and sad. You can get help. Help is available. Jill Armijo is a wonderful resource, wonderful resource. I highly recommend you going on, joining her group and uh, checking, um, uh, having a consult with Jill and see if that works for you. Why not? You have nothing to lose when you contact someone, just say, hey, here's my situation. Can you help me? Or, you know, what do you charge and what's, what's the details? So, you know, check it out. You don't know unless you ask. And folks, as I always say, in a world where you could be anything, please be kind. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio. Bye-bye now. Are you looking for an Internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience. You will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the Internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information. 484-364-1032 or text Jeannie White, station manager at T-H-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S-H-O-W at gmail.com for a podcast show details. Thank you for listening to Passionate World Talk Radio. You can listen to this program all over again by going over to https colon forward slash forward slash passionate world talk radio dot com. You can also hear it on Spotify, Spreaker, Amazon A L E X A, AMFM two four seven dot com every Tuesday evening between eight and nine PM. YouTube Facebook, Facebook Live, LinkedIn, and 
all the other podcast directories one can find on the Internet.